Well, today is the the last in our series, The Lamb of Wall Street. So let me do a quick recap. Of course, this hasn't been a very long series. This is the third week, so we don't have to remember like, you know, three months ago when we started this. But you do remember we started off with that that challenge from Jesus in Matthew 6.24, really almost choose between God and money. Not that money's bad, not that having it, using it, obtaining it is bad, but we end up serving one of them as a God. Now, there, there can be a lot of false gods in our life. We can make almost anything and everything a false god. What money is, is almost a universal competitor for the God position in our lives. Now, the wolf of Wall Street can tempt us toward worshiping money as God because here's the reality. Money does enable Money does empower. Money does give security. The problem is it's for a moment. See, Jesus says, watch out. The Lamb of Wall Street says, watch out from trusting in riches because that only works for a moment. And then money can actually leave you broke. I encourage you to read Psalm 49 this week in your own time, maybe your time in God's word. Check out Psalm 49 and and what it has to say. Well, we left Matthew 6, 24, and I don't know if you've noticed these three weeks, but all of our passages have been in Matthew 6. Of course, you might remember Matthew 5 through 7 is the Sermon on the Mount, and a a big chunk of it, a big chunk of chapter 6, over half of it, is on finances. And we went up, not down, you know, past verse 24, but back up to verse 19. And we saw in verses 19 to 21 uh, that both the lamb and the wolf have a concern for us building wealth. The challenge here is not building wealth. It's where we build it. Now, obviously, the wolf of Wall Street's going to say, build it here, build it now. Get it and look like you've got it. The lamb of Wall Street absolutely recognizes, folks, the need for here and now, uh, that we're going to use resources here. But he says, hey, listen, you really want to send some of this ahead. You really want to be storing up treasure in heaven with the added benefit that because our heart follows our money, when we start storing up treasure in heaven, now my heart will stay a little bit more focused on heaven and perhaps I can draw from it the strength and the hope that God intended when he gave us heaven. Heaven isn't just something great in the future, it's to be something for us, something great for us right here and right now. And today we're going to look at, still in Matthew chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 25, and we're going to see between the lamb and the wolf a lifestyle. A lifestyle of more and stress, or a lifestyle of everything we need and peace. Let's see how that is presented to us. Turn, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, or dial that up on your smartphone if you have a Bible app, but look at Matthew chapter 6, first book in the New Testament, and we're going to begin reading in verse 25. Matthew six, twenty-five. It says there, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. 
But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Boy, do you hear Jesus saying there, guys, come on. Man, your faith is so small on this. Verse 31, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, some of your translations may even say the pagans, it's just simply, hey, these, you're acting like people who don't have a God. You're, you're acting like people who don't know there's a God. You seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now remember, obviously what comes before verse 25 is verse 24. The last statement, statement Jesus made in verse 24 is, you cannot serve God and money. And then I believe what he's doing in verse 25 and following is showing the practical frustration of following money as your God. You know, when we serve money as our God, we end up living life for more. That's the answer. That's the service unto the God of money. It's more. But the interesting thing about more is there's no finish line. That's that's kind of strange when you think about it. You think that the, the more you get, the happier you are, the more full you are. I mean, the more food you put in, the more full you get, right? Yeah, sure. Man, you folks can put it away. Yeah, I mean, sooner or later, you whoa, that's, ah, that's enough. You know, the same is not true with stuff. You can keep getting stuff and keep getting stuff, and you can get more and more stuff. There's no finish line. Because no matter how much more you get, there's always more. There's always newer. There's always bigger. There's always better. And folks, there's nothing wrong with getting something new. There's not anything wrong with getting something bigger or something better. There's something very wrong when our life is serving more. Just getting more. And what ends up resulting from that is a lifestyle of stress. I think part of the stress is because, you know, we start chasing after more, thinking sooner or later satisfaction comes. Sooner or later happiness comes. And it doesn't. That, that's stressful when you, I mean, I'm doing all this work and it's, it's not producing happiness. And then, of course, I think there's the practical frustration financially of continuing to pursue after more and more and more and the stress that that brings. Now, what Jesus says is, listen, I'm concerned about what you need. My father knows everything you need. And are you ready for this? He cares. He cares about what you need. He wants to provide for your needs. As a matter of fact, there's a promise there. My Father will meet all your needs. Now, can y'all look around every now and then and say, Lord, it, it doesn't look like you met somebody's needs over there. Or Lord, what about this situation over here? Or maybe you'd look in your own, Lord, you're not meeting my needs. Now, there is a condition here. There's a promise that comes with a condition. Jesus says, listen, my Father will meet all your needs if you're doing this. You're making your primary concern His kingdom and righteousness. The the passage in 633 there says, seek first. Now, first there doesn't mean here's the first thing you do and then you just fill in the blanks on second, third, fourth. And That's not what it's saying. It's not first in the order of something. That word first there means preeminent, prominent, primary. In other words, the primary focus of my life, of your life, is the kingdom of God 
and his righteousness. And Jesus is saying, when you make this your primary focus, my father's going to take care of everything you need. My dad so much cares about you and is going to make sure that happens. Now, in essence, what Jesus is saying there when he's talking about the kingdom is he's talking about God's rule in our life. God's rule in our life. We're focusing on a kingdom. Kingdoms have kings. They're just funny that way. It just tends to work that way. Okay? You have a kingdom, you have a king. And everybody in the kingdom is subject to the king. As a matter of fact, that's what people are called in a kingdom. Subjects. We're subject to his rule and reign. So when I'm seeking his kingdom, I'm seeking the rule and reign of God in my life. I want it to come into my life. I want it to grow. I want that kingdom to advance and take more and more territory in Randy Hahn's life and and into his family and into his job and into his church and into his community. Every day of our life, we're looking primarily, our focus is his kingdom growing in us. We'll think about, hey, is, is God's kingdom growing in my finances? Is God's kingdom growing in my marriage? You know, if God's ruling in my life, what do I look like as a husband? If his kingdom is advancing, what's our marriage look like? What's our parenting look like? What do I look like when I go to work? What do I look like as, and how I work and how people see me at work if Jesus is taking more and more territory in Randy Hahn's life? Is that kingdom advancing? And we don't, even, we don't just think in big areas, but very specific things. You know, in, in this situation I have to handle this week, how's God's rule going to advance in that? How am I going to display Jesus' rule in my life in that decision that I need to make before my children, before my my mate, before others who know about this decision I'm making? Is Jesus' rule going to be seen in my life? You know, folks, you could take, we could take Matthew 6.33, short verse. I could do a 15, 20-week sermon series on just that verse. Not because it would take 15 to 20 weeks to understand it, but you know what we could do? We could pick 15, 20 areas of our life, things that we go through, and just keep unwrapping Matthew 6.33 in each one of those areas. Now, what I want to do is unwrap it in one of those areas, and that's in the area of finances. You say, well, why finances? Well, because that's the series I'm doing. But stop and think about this, folks. While Matthew 6.33 can be unwrapped in every area of life, What has Jesus been talking about since verse 19? Finances. It was the discussion of money. It was the discussion of finances that led up to Jesus saying what he said in Matthew 6.33. So it's Jesus that has made finances kind of front and center to this illustration and this principle of making his kingdom the primary focus of my life. So we're going to unwrap that in finances. We're going to do it in two ways. We're going to look first... If I'm under his rule, if I'm living in his rule, how does that affect my thinking? What's my understanding of money, in other words? And then from there, how do we use it? We're going to look at priorities. I get an understanding, and then I go to use it, I get priorities. So let's look at it that way. First of all, we're going to look at our understanding under his rule. And the first thing we learn is, folks, everything belongs to God, right? Right, all right. Psalm 24, 1, in case you weren't sure. The earth is the Lord's and all. What does all include? 
Yeah, pretty much everything. And all it contains. The earth is the Lord and all it contains. Nice general statement. Nice general principle. Now with this next verse, God, God, God's, he's going to get up in our business. Watch this. Haggai 2.8. The silver is mine and the gold is mine. That's the Hebrew way of saying every penny you have belongs to me. It's all mine. But not only, forget this verse for a second. Not only is the money you have in your wallet and purse mine, not only is the money that you have at the bank right now mine, but your future ability to make money is mine also. Deuteronomy 8.18, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who is giving you the power to make wealth. Our ability to make money, our ability for that money to grow, our ability to make more money, it all comes from God. Everything is God's. Now, folks, it's verses like these, handful of other verses, that I get the idea God thinks this is all his stuff. Do you all get that feeling? God thinks this is all his. And I could go to a lot of other verses and say my life is going to work a lot better when I think like God thinks. So if God thinks this is all his, then that leads to our second principle. I need to think of myself not as an owner, but as a manager. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says it is required of stewards that we be found faithful, that we be found trustworthy. You know, folks, I, that, this word steward, stewardship, that has become a word. This is, this is one of the most popular words I use in my prayer life. That, that has happened in my life. I, I don't mean I didn't write down a date, but probably in the last two or three years, I use the word steward in most prayer requests. You come up to me and say, Pastor, I've got a situation with my health and I'm, I'm going to be at the hospital this week. Would you be praying for me? Man, I absolutely will and I am. I'm going to pray for your health and your healing. And if there's discomfort and pain, that, that God would ease that, take it away, shorten it. But one of the primary things I'm going to pray is, Lord, would you help them to be a good steward of this, this bad health? this ill health. Help them to be a good manager of this week that they walk through with this bad health. Lord, help them to be a good manager of the grief that they're going through right now. Help them to be a good manager of the loss. God, would you help them to be a good steward of that marriage? Help them. Lord, I know they're frustrated with that child and how they're going to handle it. Help them to be a good manager of that. Because folks, when it's all said and done, it's not how much I made or didn't make or whether I was healthy or unhealthy. The issue is, was I a good steward of it? That's what's going to be measured. Did I manage it well? And as I've seen that word become so more dominant in my life, that's what I pray for everybody that I'm praying for. Lord, help them to be a good steward of this, a good manager of it. You know, the last two Sundays I've talked about, we've talked about that word tithe. You know, we said, Jesus said, give to God what belongs to God. How do you know what belongs to God? The only standard for that given in the Bible is the word tithe, 10% of our income. Now, that's not meant to communicate that when I put that 10% in the offering plate and once it goes by, okay, I'm clean and free now. The 90% is mine to do with as I please. No, the 90% is God's too. As a matter of fact, folks, one of the reasons we tithe is to acknowledge that it's his, and owners, they get to direct where resources go, don't they? Owners get to do that. That's their prerogative. And he said, hey, manager, the first 10% comes back to the house. You you bring the first 10% back here. Now, from there, we say, okay, Lord, what about the other 90%? 
And what we're seeing this morning is he's got values, he's got priorities, he's got directives for how we use the other 90%. Folks, it's all his. And periodically, and periodically is a subjective word, maybe for you it's once a month, maybe, maybe once a year, maybe every couple years. You know what, folks, we need to remind ourselves of this. I, you know what, I would imagine when I read Psalm 24.1 and it said the earth is the Lord and all it contains, I'll bet for a lot of you that's not the first time you heard that verse. I'll bet for a lot of you, you'd say, I absolutely believe that. And 100% of us live and act like we forgot it. I mean, it's, it's just our nature. It's our tendency. It's, it's mine. And so, yeah, when I'm sitting in church and I read Psalm 20, yes, yes, I do believe that. Yes, I know that. But somewhere we slip back and forth between saying it's all God's and living like it's all ours. You know, one thing I try to do every now and then, I do this at my mailbox. It might be better if I actually walk through my house. But you know, when you go out and get your mail, you turn around and get your mail. Usually most of us, when we get the mail, we're looking at our house, right? And when I'm standing in my driveway and I'm looking at my house, every now and then I just try to do a mental inventory. Okay, so if I walk through the attic, well, I can't see most stuff in the attic. It's a massive pile. My wife's made a horrible mess. But that pile, that pile belongs, don't tell her I said that, by the way, okay? I'll do that for me. But that pile, that pile belongs to God. And when I come out of the attic, I can go in that room and that all belongs to God. And then they go down the hall and even the stuff in the bathroom belongs to God. The stuff under the sink, I don't, I don't even go under there, but it belongs to God. You know, and then downstairs and there's the living room and that stuff. And I don't have a basement, but if you have a basement, you should walk down there because that's his too. I don't have one of those houses out in the woods, you know, where you roll the lawnmower. But if you have one, go out there too. Folks, it's, it's all his and we would really manage better if just periodically we reminded myself, oh, this isn't mine to do with as I please. There's an owner of all this, and I have to answer to him one day if whether or not I was a faithful manager. Now, the third thing, third thing we want to understand is as a faithful manager, I'm going to manage best with a desire to honor the Lord with all these resources because they are his resources. And the, and the resources are for exalting the owner, therefore honoring the owner, therefore advancing the owner. It's about his profit. It's about his agendas. Proverbs 3, 9 says, honor the Lord from your wealth. That's a command. And from the first of your produce. You know, I like that word first. That helped me. I use that word first to mean literally it's the first thing I do with the paycheck. Now, this was physically easier for me to do five, ten years ago, probably you too, because five, ten years ago, we used to do everything with checks, right? And, and so I would literally, I get a paycheck, deposit it. Of course, now it's direct deposit, but I used to deposit it. And then the, I literally, to me, this, I don't want to sound legalistic. To me, it was just important to acknowledge what Scripture says. And the first check I wrote was then for my tithe. And I would, I would actually, I would divide it over two Sundays, and I would write both Sundays Checks and I said, man, this is, I am first. It's the first thing that I am doing. Of course, now what do we do? We, we direct everything online, right? You know, and, and, and some companies come in and they get out what they need. Some, some we direct it. Okay, on the 5th, this goes out. And on the 7th, this goes out. You know, so the idea of it first. But folks, how do you do that in your mind? How, how will you mentally, how will you physically direct your finances so that really you're reminding yourself the first thing I do, the most important thing I do is honor the Lord. The other thing that word first, there it is, I lost it. The other thing that word first helps me with, probably the single most asked question I get 
when I preach sermons like this is, do you tithe on the gross or the net? I think that's somewhat of a particularly American question because we've got this set up where the government can come in to our employer, right? And they can get out what they need before it even hits our hands. And so since the money never actually lands in my hands, well, then my tendency is to think, I I never had it. Let me ask you a question. When you are uh, getting a new house, or maybe you're refinancing, boy, at the very, one of the very first questions they're going to ask is, what's your pay? What's your income? Do you write down your gross or your net? Go ahead and say it, folks, gross. Yeah, I know it's gross what the government does to your check before you get it. But you do write down your gross. You're getting, you're, you're going you're gonna to buy a car and you're going to get a loan. They're going to say, how much do you make? You're going to write down your gross. When you're bragging to your friends about how much, well, you don't do that. I know that you don't tell your friends how much you make, unless it feels good. But uh, no, we, no, folks, we make a gross. I mean, functionally speaking, you make what you make and, and the, the tithe is based on that. If we said, and I don't want to be legalistic here. You know what? Like I said, you're a manager. You're going to stand before God for how you managed. I'm a manager. I'm going to stand before God for how I managed for me. Okay, for me. If I tithed off the net, then I am clearly communicating to God, the government comes first in my life. As a matter of fact, God, it's not even an issue of you being second. Not only are you second, but I'm only going to give you a percentage based on what I have after the government went first. I can't. I can't communicate. By, that, that, by the way, that's not a statement about government. That's a statement that I honor the Lord first with my resources. So we're going to manage best when he comes first. Fourth, we're going to manage best when we can somewhere in there put the word content. Where, where we can somewhere get the idea of not living like the wolf says, more, more, more. But we can work in the word content. How much is enough? And let me say it again, folks. There's nothing wrong with getting something new. There's nothing wrong with getting more of something. But do we ever ask ourselves how much is enough? Because if we don't, the driver in your life will be more. If you don't know how much is enough, the driver of your life is more. You want some evidence? Here's a statistic. People, if if you're living, if somebody's living paycheck to paycheck... And they get a substantial raise. I'm not talking about one of these cost of living adjustments. I'm not talking about a little tiny raise because things are tough. You get a promotion, whatever it is, and you get a big raise. Do you know how long it'll take you to be living paycheck to paycheck? Three months. We'll absorb every penny of more into spending more and be right back in the same mess that we are when we were making way less because more is the driver and so it's more food and, and more restaurants and it's more stuff and it's more going and we just consume it instantly rather than saying hey how much is enough and by the way I don't think that question or the answer stays the same I mean we go through different financial seasons of our life don't we sometimes not so much I don't need what I don't need so much on earth right at the moment I'm, I'm going to store more away in heaven I'll be honest with you folks right now in my life I'm feeling like a whole lot need more needs on earth I've told the Lord that. Lord, I have four kids, cars, college, insurance. I need a lot on earth. Of course, that's after the tithe. But see, you know what? There's just different. We go through different times. But are we asking the question? Hey, you know what? In this season, 
We need to probably focus on debt a little bit more. In this season, how can we focus on saving a little bit more? In this season, maybe a little bit more on earth. In this season, hey, how can we do even more up in heaven? But how are we thinking through the question? Because if you're not, more is your driver. And if more is your driver, that's evidence of a false God in your life. How are we working at contentment? Uh, passage I use a lot, already used it this series. It's just a favorite one from Philippians. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. That word's used seven times in the Bible, six times it's related to money. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The reason I got content, folks, is because I used to think it was money that made life work. And so if I had more money, I was really content. If I had less money, no contentment. Hey, It's Jesus that makes life work. And I never have more or less of Jesus. I have all of Jesus that I want to have, is what Paul is saying here. So we're going to manage best when somewhere in our finances we can work in the word contentment. And then lastly, we're going to manage best, folks, with the idea to work and to plan. Listen to what Scripture says here, 2 Thessalonians. If anyone's not willing to work, then he's not to eat. Does that seem kind of harsh? God's plan for building wealth, for caring for ourselves, is that we work. Now, this is an interesting verse in light of what we talked about last week. Remember last week we were talking about ways that we store up treasure in heaven. And we said one of those ways, man, when we're helping the poor. When we're helping those in need. When we're helping somebody who's hit a crisis and they're trying to, you know, how do you get from point A to point B and we come alongside and help. We're to do that. But you know what? Sometimes we don't always have the ability to discern why somebody's in the situation they're in, whether it's a stranger or a friend. Sometimes we can't tell why they're there. What, what do you do then? I, I, you, you pray. God, would you give me discernment? Give me wisdom? Do I have a responsibility here? What should I do? What should I not do? Probably err on the side of grace. But folks, we don't help people do nothing. That's not God's plan for them. The Scriptures do not applaud. Read the Proverbs. The Scriptures hate laziness. God's plan for us is to work. And then from the produce of that work, to plan. Proverbs 21, the plans of the diligent. A diligent person is a planning person, a disciplined person. A diligent person knows why he's saying yes. A diligent person knows why he's saying no. A diligent person knows where he or she is going. The plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage. Another word for profit. But everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. Folks, the scriptures really warn against not just get-rich-quick schemes. The scriptures warn against a get-rich-quick mentality. You know, I think America was largely built on people who wanted to work really hard, be smart, be diligent with their resources. This is an opinion. I don't know this as a fact, but it seems to me like in the last 30 or 40 years, we've switched to more of a get-rich-quick Not how do I work and how do I plan, but how do I get everything I want instantly and immediately? Some of you are old enough in here. I think of my mom and dad. If they couldn't afford a kitchen table, you know what they did? They ate on the floor. My generation, pull out the credit card. We ain't waiting for nothing. It's how do I get everything immediately? And whether it's the game show or insurance or inheritance or it just seems like more and more Americans are looking for where does the big truckload of money just dump on me? And by the way, if you've done any studies of people who win the lottery, when that load of cash lands on you, guess what? It crushes you. 
It literally destroys your life. Proving what Scripture said all along. Folks, what God's going to bless is when you and I work hard, we take whatever we have, however little it is, however much it is, and we plan and we're diligent and we're smart and we're being guided by biblical principles. That's God's plan for building wealth here and there. Now, with that mentality, God owns everything. I'm a manager of it. I need to honor him with it. I need to work at contentment. I need to plan at working, and I need to plan on being smart with it. Okay, then what are the three priorities? What are the three places I move with money? The first one, uh, and I'm just here. This, is, this first one's almost a summary of what we've been talking about for three weeks. I put here, send money to heaven. I could have put, give to God what belongs to God. I could have put, honor the Lord from your resources. The bottom line is the first thing we do with our money is we give to him. Now, folks, watch what happens. That plate comes by, and I put that tithe in there. I have just obeyed Jesus at sending money to heaven. I have just obeyed Jesus at giving to God what belongs to God. I have just obeyed Jesus at honoring the Lord with resources. But watch this. I've also just obeyed Jesus' command in Matthew 6.33. To, to make the primary focus of my life, and that means the pieces of my life, I'm making the primary focus of finances the advancing of God's kingdom. We're obeying all of those commands in laying down that one gift. Isn't that pretty awesome? And by the way, folks, when you're giving to a church, when you're tithing to a church, you should be able to see the kingdom of God advancing. You, you should be able to see it advancing in your life. You should see it advancing in people around you, in the community, in the world. And if you don't, I, I would say this about our church. If you look around and say, you know what, I don't, I don't see the kingdom of God advancing here. I don't see it advancing in individuals. I don't, I don't see it advancing after. Then I suggest you not give your tithe here because you need to obey Matthew 6.33. And, and if you don't believe that's happening here, then don't give it here. But that leads you to another challenge. Then you've got to find the place where you do believe that's happening. Because we just don't randomly send it somewhere. The tithe goes to the local church that I'm engaged in, that I'm involved with. If you don't see the kingdom of God advancing here, don't come here. If you do see it, then that becomes a good opportunity for you to give it here. All those commands obeyed in one act. That one act places my life right in the sweet spot of obedience. Folks, God blesses obedience. It's amazing how many times people can live with God's principles on finances in direct rebellion to him and in, in, in direct ignorance of him. And then they wonder, gosh, why isn't this coming together? Why, why is this so frustrating? Why doesn't this happen? And by the way, folks, that's not to say that somebody living by all of God's principles can't go through a hard financial time. They absolutely can. But it seems like there's a lot where we're just living in complete ignorance of God. Or rebellion to God. And then we wonder where he is. And why he's not taking care of us. And I wonder how many times we say, you know what? I tried to take care of you and how I directed you. And, and all the principles that I gave. So the first thing we do with our money is we give to the Lord. Second thing, we are to take care of a family. That, that's God's priority for us is that we provide for our home. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Whew! That seems kind of harsh, doesn't it? You know, whenever you see something severe, take it as a priority. Severity equals priority. It is a priority, God says, for us to provide and care for our home, to meet the needs of our home. Now, the Bible would probably pretty simply define needs by things like food, shelter, and clothing. 
I'm guessing most of us in here, including myself, have a few other things we think of as needs, right? You know, folks, here's, here's what we have the opportunity to do as we're obeying Matthew 6.33. As the primary focus of my life, your life, is the growth of his kingdom, then I have the ability to say, Hey, God, I, I know you said food, shelter, and clothing are needs. I really feel like this is a need. And this is something I want to provide for our family, our home, uh, education, a certain experience, whatever it might be. I really feel like this is a need. So I'm just going to leave this here with you because I know you're my dad. I know you incredibly love me. And I know you ultimately really do want to provide for me. So I'm just going to leave this here with you. You do with it what you want. And I'm going to go back to making my primary concern the advancement of your kingdom. You see how Matthew 6.33 unfolds with something like that? We just leave it there. I don't have to worry. I don't have to be stressed. If it's a real need, God will make it happen. If it's not a real need, God won't make it happen. Either way, I'm provided for. But folks, God wants us to take care of our family. Three and last, we pay our bills. The wicked borrows and does not pay back. Gosh, again, that seems like a tough statement, doesn't it? Maybe another way to say this a little more positive. The follower of Christ doesn't get what he can't pay for. The follower of Christ pays back what he owes to others. In other words, folks, we don't, we don't put the credit card down unless we can pay for it at the end of the month. We don't, we don't buy things that we can't pay for. But now here's the problem that credit and debt, here's how this works. Here's the problem. So last night we go out and have a nice dinner and we're going to go do this and do that. And every time I put that credit card, I can pay for this. I can cover this. I've got, this is good. I know exactly where the money's coming from. So I do, so I, hey, I just, I can pay for it. Now, what I didn't know is that my water heater was going to break this afternoon. Isn't that kind of how things work? I, I know I can do this. I know, and then, and then all of a sudden something happens we don't expect. You see, here, here's where debt leads us awry. A lot of us, we're going to buy that car, that payment, whatever that payment is. And we say, yes, I can do that. Now, what we're, what we're really saying is, yes, I can do that this month. But we just signed something for 60 months. And so when I say I can do that, we're kind of assuming nothing's going wrong for 60 months. And if my finances do anything over the next 60 months, it'll only be go up. It'll only grow. Now, is that very real? No, folks, here's how biblical theology and finances collide. We live in a fallen world. Newsflash, the water heater's going to break. The roof is going to leak. Don't be shocked by that and don't wonder who's cursing you. If it's on this planet, it breaks. If it's on this planet, it needs to be replaced. And see, sometimes we're making financial decisions acting as if none of that is ever going to happen. So we make every financial decision this way. I'm not going to do anything that in any way affects my ability to take care of number one, number two, and number three. Then I put a cushion there. And then after the cushion, then I start taking care of number four, and number 17, and number 21. You say, well, what's the cushion? You ready for this? This is crazy. How about if we lived on 97% of our resources? Now, that's not a biblical number. I, I'm just saying something. Okay, you know, it might be 98, even 99. See, in America, because money is our God, and because we have totally succumbed to what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 6, not only does the idea of living on less than I make sound crazy, the average American lives on 103% of what they make. 
We, we, we spend more than we have. What if we only spent 98%? You say, oh, okay, I see. You're talking about having a savings, right? No. I'm not talking about savings. A good budget is not only going to provide for the household and all that stuff. It's going to provide for savings. It's going to provide for the retirement of debt. I'm talking about the entire budget that does all that is based on 98% of what we make. And we just have a growing cushion there. And, you know, probably should have a, hey, our cushion only needs to be about this much. So if the cushion starts to grow over that, well, then we'll pull some of that cushion out. We'll send more to heaven. We'll pull some of that cushion out and retire debt a little faster. We'll pull some of that cushion. You can have, you know, periodically we'll pull some. But we have a cushion there. You know why there's a cushion? Because I live in a fallen world. And it's going to break. So let's quit acting surprised that it broke. And then that way, I'm never getting to the place that I say, man, I'd love to give to God. I know that's important. I know God. I can't afford it. Folks, there's way too many followers of Jesus walking around in America saying, I can't afford to do what God's called me to do. What you said is, I just can't afford to get where God wants my finances to be so that they're strong and they're secure. I need to stay in a place where it's stressed and broken and constantly frustrated. Uh, Does that make sense? No. How do we live by those priorities? Folks, if I close one line, one thought over the last three weeks, it's this. The lamb is for you and your finances. What a what a what a victory for the devil that that so many we're not talking about the world right now. Y'all understand this, right? So many believers, so many churchgoers have this idea that God and money is just what he's trying to get out of you. It's just what they're trying to take from you. And because the devil seems to have won that battle for so many, money is the single most disliked topic in church, is it not? We, when we're talking about money, we get our most defensive. When we talk about money, oh, you know, attendance goes down. You know, preachers get together and say, don't talk about money, man, they won't come. Really, I mean, think, think, about, think about a preacher saying that. Think about the, don't tell them what God says for their good and well-being. Don't, don't, whatever you do, don't tell them that. God is for you. Every single word from Genesis to Revelation is for you. Including all the words about money. God doesn't want insecurity for you. What did Jesus just say? Hey, if you're living insecure, stressed, you look like a pagan. And if God says that looks like a pagan, then why would God say, I want you to be? No. God wants security. God wants peace. God wants your needs met. And he gives us all these principles so those can become realities in our life. Ah, if we would believe them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to believe you. On every word in your word. Help us to believe you on your word on money. Help us not to look at you as what you're trying to get from us. Keep from us. Oh, Lamb of God, every time you speak, may we understand, may we know, may we believe it's for our good. And it's for our good when we try to come into obedience to the things that you speak. Lord, if that is for some of us in this room, uh, a place of defensiveness, something we don't want to hear about, 
Would you help us to look inside and understand why that is? Is is it because the preacher is misusing, misinterpreting Scripture? Or, or, Or is it because I don't have the right view of money? Maybe it's become my God. Help us to be honest with ourselves. Look inside and see what's happening there. Lord, we need your help in this. And I thank you that even in our disobedience, even in our lack of trust, you're so incredibly patient. You're so incredibly gracious. I praise you and I thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.